0: podcast is part of the sports social podcast network welcome to the inside try show with helen murray this is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport with in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training all right let's begin Hello and welcome to episode 36 of the Inside Tri Show, the weekly podcast with me, Helen Murray, bringing you the best interviews from triathlon and beyond. I hope you're doing well and that you've had a a good week. I want to give a massive thank you, first of all, to new patrons. So David Irwin, Jude Austin and Holly Kerwin. David, you'll be very pleased to know that I enjoyed a glass of vino this weekend. So thank you very much for that. Um, I should actually check out with Rich, shouldn't I? What it was. It was delicious. That's what I can tell you. Uh, Jude and Holly, thank you both for signing up to be a coffee buddy. You, The three of you, complete stars, so thank you. If you want to join them, head over to patreon.com forward slash inside I was sharing a few little snippets of what's coming up with my Vino buddies and training buddies this week, actually. And I've got some exciting interviews and guests planned. So fingers crossed they do all come off. So this week's interview is pretty full on. It's with Rach McBride. And it's one of those interviews where, yep, I think it's really powerful. And when I was doing it and I was listening and I was asking questions, a lot of the time I was thinking flipping, maybe slightly stronger, but flipping heck. But there are bits of laughter dotted throughout. And I do believe that it's an interview which is really important for you to hear and for you to share as well. So it it is with Canada's multiple Ironman 70.3 champion. They're an amazing cellist and an expert in genetics too. It's Rach McBride and I'll tell you more about them very shortly. Meanwhile, plenty of love out there for Steve Bates, who was our guest in episode 35. Steve is a gold medalist from the Rio Paralympics, but prior to taking up cycling, he was a carpenter and an outdoor ed instructor. And he had to give up his dream of being a mountain guide when he was told that he had a condition, which meant that he was going blind he didn't give up on everything though. He went He went and solo climbed El Cap and he's done so many other awesome things like getting on the British Cycling Paralympic team. Ruth Asselt said it was a great listen. Lowry described it as a belter. Thanks Lowry. And Laura Siddle reckons it was actually one of the best. So if you haven't heard it, do go back and listen to it. Before we hear the interview with Rach McBride, a quick reminder that this show is powered by 33fuel.com, who make really tasty and natural sports nutrition. They had a post up this week, actually, by ultra runner Sophie Power. I don't know if the name might ring a bell. So back in 2018, she was pretty much catapulted into the limelight after the photo of her completing UTMB, so the ultra marathon, ultra trail du Mont Blanc, whilst breastfeeding her three-month-old. Anyway, point of me telling you this is that she also uses 33Fuel products. If you want to give them a try, just head over to 33Fuel.com and use the code INSIDETRY33 for a discount at checkout. Time for this week's interview. Someone asked me actually a few months ago if I ever feel overwhelmed maybe by some of the topics and some of the interviews I do. I said at the time, the honest answer, no, not really. Um, I do feel pretty emotionally spent every week after my cancer rehab work for MOVE. But in terms of interviewing, I think the one time I felt completely mentally shattered after doing an interview was when I worked at the BBC and I went to interview a woman called Delia. Now, Delia is transgender and she had transitioned from male to female a few years prior to me doing the interview. And I reckon the reason that I felt so drained after it was A, I had never interviewed a transgender person before, but B, it was the fact that it really hit me that Delia just didn't feel like she belonged until she was in her 60s. She felt trapped for a lot of her life and I just couldn't even begin to imagine that feeling. Now this week's guest, Rach McBride, is not transgender at all but it was a similar feeling of being emotionally drained after doing the interview with them, because again, it was that realisation that they didn't feel like they could be themselves. They didn't feel comfortable in their own skin until finally coming out as identifying as gender non-binary. So can you imagine if, like Rach now, you are in your early 40s and pretty much for 35 years of your life you haven't felt like you could be you. Rach is the first person I've ever interviewed who identifies as gender non-binary. And my goodness, I learned so much, and I hope you do too. Rach McBride, how are you? I am doing really well. I'm fresh out of the ocean um, after
1: a swim on this sunny morning in Vancouver, so...
0: And what have the last uh, few months been like for you in terms of corona Shimona.
1: yeah <laughs> um you know honestly i feel like life is not a whole lot different aside from not having racing um i was lucky enough to have to get in the last iron man of 2020 um so far in new zealand and snag a kona slot and so i had a i already had some like racing this year um and so coming back you know i have just been i've still been training a lot and staying really fit but it's been a lot more unstructured honestly it's been a little bit more fun because i haven't been you know deep in the heavy training ironman training block with all the intensity um and so i've been able to like get out on my gravel bike a whole lot and get out and running in the trails and exploring and doing things that i wouldn't necessarily be able to do um in any other summer
0: and would you say that's pretty much the first time since turning pro in 2011?
1: Uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, and it 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 definitely highlights for me how how few people I actually see in my life and my day-to-day <laughs> life because, you know, with all of the um physical distancing and stuff, I'm like, well, um yeah, I I guess I just continue on as normal. <laughs>
0: And do you find in a in a sort of weird way what you're now in your early 40s and you know I don't know how long you can kind of carry on for how long you want to carry on for as a professional triathlete but has this almost enforced break like an enforced mixing up of what you normally do actually made you appreciate it even more and kind of given you the oomph to to go yeah I, I love doing this
1: um, I definitely feel like I have never lost that oomph of like I, I love doing this. Um, because I have had these like constant breaks in my uh, career due to injury, I am I understand like I am very tapped into my gratitude towards the sport and my my physical ability and fitness and the, and um, the fact that I can't imagine doing anything else. I love it so much. And so what this has reinforced for me, I think, in a lot of ways is like, A, how much I just love the training and love getting out there um, because for a lot of a lot of it I haven't you know faltered in that motivation aside from getting in the freezing cold ocean <laughs> um fifteen and, sixteen uh, degrees <laughs> yeah <laughs> where it is now when I started it was closer to eleven twelve <laughs> um yeah and uh and that um uh, what what this break has um is inspired for me is knowing that when I come back to that really focused training and have a definite race on the calendar and on my, t- my timeline that I'm going to be really ready to get back to work and start doing all of that hard work.
0: So is, I'm, I'm a little bit confused with, with everything, but is Kona February, would that be what you're now aiming at or would you be aiming for Kona October 2021?
1: Yeah, so I'm aiming for Kona in February.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. And is that does that now that it is going to be February and not October? Does that yeah? What's it like for someone in the Northern Hemisphere having to adjust to that, or to just kind of go with the flow? I
1: mean, I I am a type of person that just kind of goes with the flow. Um, you know, I have already had the experience this year of training for early season southern hemisphere uh racing and so i know that it is challenging in the middle of our winter to be start you know in the middle of an ironman build um however um i know it's possible and uh, you know i don't i don't give up on kona opportunity lightly so you know i'm i want to race when the next kona is and i'll make it happen And so if that means that I'm spending a lot of time indoors or I am riding in the middle of our winter in the rain, then so be it.
0: And take us back, Rach. How did you actually get into triathlon in the first place? Uh,
1: So I, um, I came to triathlon as an adult. Uh, I did my first race in, uh, at the age of 28 and, um, I had started, uh, I had basically quit all athletics at at the age of 15. Um, I decided at 25 that I wanted to run a marathon and ended up qualifying for Boston at that first marathon uh, and got more and more into running. A group um, that I was running with and a mentor of mine um, said, you know, Rachel, I think you could be an elite triathlete. And, um, just based on like the fact that I had a little bit of swimming background when I was a kid and she had seen me, um, cycling, uh, and, and, and I just like took that idea and ran with it and, um, moved out to Vancouver and did my first uh, triathlon in 2006 and almost won it. And just like had an absolute blast. And uh, my, you know, my, uh, Within 18 months, I was amateur world champion um, and was racing in the ITU draft legal um, continental cup series. And so my, I just like, yeah, I just absolutely love the sport right off the bat. And um, I'm super competitive in the fact that I was, had a lot of talent and was winning some big races right off the bat in the amateur scene. Then, um, yeah, I really just, I loved it. And so I took some time. I really burnt out after a couple of years of that first, the short course triathlon. I went back to school. I did some bike racing. And then when I got out of school, I tried my first, um, long distance half Ironman and, and was, you know, I won it by 24 minutes and, place the time that would have put me like in the top 10 in at the at the world championships and I was like you know what I am 32 years old I'm not getting any younger I really want to give this a shot and see if I can uh, make a career out of it.
0: And what was your actual career at the time when you did think yeah I'm going to give the, I'm going to give this triathlon malarkey a go? <laughs> um
1: when I first started triathlon, I was working for, um, I had just finished my master's in developmental genetics and I was working for a, like a drug development company. Um, and then uh, when I turned pro, I, full time pro, I had just finished a master's in genetic counseling, uh, which is a specialized healthcare profession. Um, and I had thought, oh, you know what? I had just finished the program and I was really burnt out. And I was like, I'm just going to take the summer off before I start looking for work and just enjoy myself and do a little triathlon. And, uh, yeah, that was 10 years ago.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But then at the beginning, like, and and even now, do you do any, do you work as well as train and everything like that? Because do do you work in some like sexual health and counseling as well? Or is that Have I got the the kind of like wrong end of the stick?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So I don't I don't work as a genetic counselor or in genetics at all. However, I work for um, a a non for profit here called Options for Sexual Health um, and do yeah sexual health um, education. Basically, Uh, it is a casual job. So it's like one time per week. Um, sometimes just twice a month. It's super, super flexible. Uh, and, but it's incredibly rewarding. Keeps my brain out of the triathlon bubble a little bit. And I get to use those skills, um, that I developed, um, just in terms of like communication and, and short term counseling, um, that I gained in the genetic counseling program. And I'm super passionate about sexual health. Uh, and so it is, uh, it's definitely like kind of on my radar for, if i'm going to have a career after triathlon um this is an option
0: and what like what does it actually um involve i guess or or, or let's go with both because both are just fascinating so being a genetic counselor can you just describe a little bit more about that profession because it is it's truly fascinating
1: yeah it is a really incredible fr- profession um it uh so genetic counseling is a specialized healthcare profession where you're basically um, providing uh, folks with information about genetic risk and genetic testing and facilitating decision-making around that. So it may be talking about, um, a lot of it centers around like prenatal genetic counseling where there may be something found in a pregnancy and talking about um, risks and testing and um, different outcomes and helping people make decisions around that. Um, there's also, you know, uh, childhood genetics. So kids who are born with genetic conditions and talking about, um, uh, those sorts of things as well as, uh, as adult genetics. So like, c- uh, cancer genetics, heart, different heart conditions that can be passed through families, um, genetically. Uh, and it's really taking this like massive amount of information and very detailed and complex information about genetics testing and risk and um, boiling it down to something that's really digestible um, for folks who may not have uh, a lot of background in science or genetics. Um, and then often, you know, helping on a short-term basis, like um, making decisions uh, and working through sort of some of the complex emotional um, uh Uh, aspects that go with you know those sorts of family dynamics and things
0: did you find it just like mentally draining and almost the then the the sort of the running of the marathon and, and moving into triathlon was almost like a little bit of escapism from the mental like the mental draining of of it
1: yeah i think sport definitely helps me um Um, it's in a lot of ways, it's very meditative. It's very, I find it very grounding in a lot of ways and it, and it allows me to, yeah, just like let off that steam and, uh, from, you know, what was a pretty intense level of training, uh, like genetic counseling training and and study there. Um, and, uh, yeah it's definitely. I think throughout my life, I have used um, used that like physical um, like pushing of those physical boundaries and 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 getting more in touch with like my physical body as a way of of like processing and um, coming down from more of the like mental and emotional uh, you know side of things.
0: Can you give, like, any other examples of that?
1: Um, <clears throat> well, uh, let's see. I mean, I think that I know, I know that when, you know, the, 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 the past 10 years of my career has been, it's been really interesting to sort of to observe my mental dynamics, um, especially when I am either unable to train due to injury or in the off season. And what I recognize is that when I, when I don't have that physical outlet or I am not allowed that physical outlet, then I really, um, I really kind of downward spiral mentally. And so for me, it feels like, um, it feels like, like I said, it kind of keeps me grounded in a way that if I have that physical outlet, and I can think of examples of like when I was younger um, that I just felt there was a long time period where I didn't do any athletics or very little athletics, you know, I was a bike commuter, and that was about it. And um, (laughs) I still am a very avid bike commuter. And, (laughs) um, and, uh, and it was a time of, of like, uh, I felt really uncomfortable, I felt really uncomfortable in my body, and I felt really uncomfortable in my brain. Um, And yeah, it took me, I think there was a reason why when i started running again at at age 25 that it really took over my life and that sport has taken over my life because um because for me that physical outlet provides um something really significant in just like how i can navigate throughout the day
0: is it almost like a like it provides safety as well that you can be who you want to be when when you're doing sport and things or maybe a case of you can sort of switch off other things that that are going on in your head does that make sense
1: yeah um yeah I mean I think that well that's a definitely a multi-layered question because as of course um as I as we like as I'm going into this um, and being more out about the, my non-binary identity um, in one level sport initially really kind of like kept me um, in in a in in a box, like kept me in a place of um, not not really being myself. Yeah. Um, so there's like <clears throat> there's like that sort of level. If we're thinking of, on like sort of like a higher level. However, I do think that, yeah, it was a pl- like for me, sport and training is a place where like I am in control of what I'm doing. Um, I love that I'm on my own schedule. Um, it is up to me whether or not I push myself or I don't. It's not the reason why I don't do team sports. <laughs> it's because I don't like to be dependent on other people for my success. <laughs> <laughs> um and um yeah I mean I think that's what I love about sport um and about this career is that it does provide this level of um of like independence and flexibility and it's like if I I like being in in control of my schedule and my success and um and sort of those daily decisions
0: yeah you mentioned there about um, gender non-binary and you came out earlier this year. What, what was that like? And, and was there a decision that like a very conscious, right, actually I I want to kind of go public?
1: Um, It's definitely, so it's been a really interesting process for me. Um, because this is something this is like really an identity that I have had for my entire life Um, and it's only only now have have I felt like I have had this opportunity to um, to really name it as something to name it as non-binary and um, and it's at, at some point in the past Um, I would say a couple of years it has just come to um, I've come to realize like how important it is for me. And, um, and I have also been inspired by seeing others um, being really out and open uh, about their own identity and the power that that has to create a more inclusive space for everyone. um, And, to um, allow others to to be their most authentic selves. And so it really there was definitely a point um, at which uh, I I mean I think the first time that I spoke publicly as someone who identified as non-binary was in uh, November, December of last year um, at the Outspoken Conference uh, in Arizona and so that was very much felt like a a coming out in a way. Um, and the, the you know, one of the bigger pieces is the um, uh, is the the like pronoun evolution. Um and for me, it that was that's been sort of the biggest turning point, or you know it's kind of symbolic in a way of that, you know, up until really early this year, I was still identified as they, them or she, her. Um, and what I recognized, what I began to recognize was that keeping that she, her was not about me and how I identified. It was more about just making other people feel comfortable that like I could, I, and it let me off the hook of like, well, if someone uses those pronouns, then that's okay. You know, it's okay. I, I'm you know, I don't, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to upset people. I don't want to like be, I don't, didn't feel like I had the energy to like be having those conversations of like having to correct people all the time. And now, and I realized it was really, it was false. It was something that was really not me. Um, and that I finally had the courage to just stand up and say, you know what, I, I'm they, them, I am not, she, her, I've never felt she her um and uh and it's been really really transformative. I mean, when I hear especially my friends and family using my correct pronouns and recognizing who I am, um it's it's like such a it it really validates that I have that I am in the right place.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing to hear.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's been, yeah, and, and, you know, and these conversations are hard. It's hard to, you know, it's hard for people to change language. And it's it's also an interesting, you know, the more that I come out and sort of explore what non- non-binary means to me and what, and having these conversations in public, um, it's, it's really been a place as well for me to start exploring, like, yeah, exactly what, what this means for me and who I am and, and recognizing just like in the past you know 40 years of my life how how like it, it just, it's just like all of these puzzle pieces coming together it's like I have had these feelings of not fitting in in, in the binary for so long and to finally have the language around that is is so powerful for me
0: and for those who might not um understand completely might not like don't have the education uh surrounding it what to you like what does it mean to be gender non-binary
1: so yeah for me what so i think that um you know, gender is a social construct. It's something that we are not born with. It's something that we develop, uh, as we grow up. And, um, for me, I don't necessarily, I don't, I don't feel like I am a woman or a girl. I don't feel like I am a man or a boy. I feel somewhere in that spectrum in between, um, some days I may present in a more feminine manner. Some days I might pre- pre- um, present in a more masculine manner, um, and and so to me, it's about, um,
0: um,
1: yeah, just not not feeling like I fit in to that ba- that that binary, but but identifying as somewhere in between.
0: And for the pro- and and, and
1: so and so that that means that like I recognize that I have a female body, um, I recognize that um, that I at, at this point in my life I am not interested in making any kind of medical changes to my body, um, and that there are people who are non-binary who may identify in a very in a completely different way than I do. Like everyone um, has their own, like some people, you know, identify right smack in the middle of like, I am neither girl or boy. I am somewhere in the middle. And some people feel that I I am girl and I am boy. Um, And, um, and so everyone has their own sort of uh, take on what non-binary means for them.
0: Um I was going to ask actually about the pronouns. Um so again, like why why is that so important? Why why is the pronoun why are the pronouns so important and why do we want people to get it correct? <laughs>
1: um yeah, I mean again, uh, it is about it is about identity. So and it is about using someone's um personal pronouns. Uh, you know everybody has a right to choose what their pronouns should be. It's not up to anybody else. Um and that using using somebody's personal pronouns is about recognizing their identity. It's about respect. Um and so um and yeah basically identifying as um yeah uh, i mean I, that, that's that's really the bottom line is it, it's about respecting someone's identity um and it is the person's choice what how they identify
0: Do you feel confident enough now to actually pick pick up on people if they if they do make a mistake? do you sort of say, oh actually no, please could you you know use this pronoun or, or that pronoun
1: um it's getting easier for sure
0: Good. <laughs> um <laughs> It was, uh,
1: it was, I have to admit, it was really challenging to start and, and it's really challenging to like, because I'm the type of person who I don't like interrupting people. I don't like pointing myself out. I don't like, you know, making myself the center of attention. That's not what this is about at all. Um, it's, it's re it's, it's really, um, tiring and, um, and not fun for me to correct people. And um, and so it has been, I have, yeah, I have to admit that in the beginning, I would let a lot slide. And now I am being more vocal um, and feeling more confident in that. And I have folks around me who are also helping, um, you know, allies who are out there who are, are helping um, with the corrections. Um, and just helping other folks navigate. And and so, yeah, it's definitely, it still takes a lot of energy, but I am committed, more and more committed now, and more and more confident to be able to, to speak up.
0: And do you find doing something like this bloody hard work? <laughs>
1: um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, because I think one of the biggest things has been... Um, just like at this point now that i am i am just like i i feel so much like the the most authentic that i have ever felt in my life which is incredible and so now it's like every time i hear incorrect pronouns it's 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 like a little bit of trauma it's a it's a little bit of you know, before when I would just, you know, I was okay with it and I would just let things slide. It it wasn't as um as like uh, how do how do I want to say it? It's kind of like a it's it's like a it's just like you're getting poked, you know, like every time it's like this little like I hear every single like I don't I don't. I don't unhear these things like I don't or I don't miss them. Whenever it happens, I hear it. Even if I don't correct somebody, I hear it. And it's like it feels like a this weight on me like a, you know, a rock that I have to carry. Um and and so when when someone yeah, and so when someone uses those correct pronouns, it's just like it's like a this weight that's lifted off it's like okay this person understands me they get me they see me
0: do you feel like a bit happier absolutely yeah I I mean I
1: it's not a bit not even a bit happier do you feel amazingly
0: happier do you feel like another person
1: (laughs) I I just feel like I feel like um you know what? It, I it's 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 really emotional for me. It's really it's really like I am just like I said it's like these puzzle pieces fitting together. It's like I finally feel correct. I finally feel like I understand like who I am and what my identity is and how I fit in the world. Um and that's huge. That's so huge. Um, and it's also helped me realize that I'm not alone. you know, I I don't I don't really know and many other non-binary folks um at all. And so my resource is is social media and the internet. And so the more that I listen to other non-binary folks speak about their experience, I am just like it it just like fits like it's all of these, it's it's like so super validating of like, yes, yeah, like the, I'm in the right place. Like this is, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is actually who I am. It's just so, so validating. And, um and yeah, it's, it's really emotional for me Um because yeah, it's like, I can't, I can't believe that it's taken, that it took, you know, over 40 years to get here. And to think of like where would I be in my own like sense of self and and mental health and identity if I had if I had the words to describe who I was back when I was even five, um, or you know in my twenties and what kind of an impact that would have made for for me.
0: And Rach, is that part of now why you are speaking out because actually if you can help one other person by by talking by sharing your story then in the hope that maybe they don't have to go through the same
1: yeah absolutely um that is what hugely motivates me to continue having these conversations and um to to really just yeah, to be so out and so open is because I recognize that like what yeah, if I had had if there had been some somebody in my life who I had seen who I w- you know, out and being an athlete and moving in the world and being successful and being their authentic selves and um like it just would have made all the difference in the world. And so I do really hope that a I am creating a safer place for other non-binary folks to be themselves and as well um, like helping other folks understand who might not who might not be exposed to that kind of thing who might not understand what um, the gender binary is who m- might not understand what non-binary is and um, and just putting a face to and a personality to um, to someone who identifies as such.
0: I was just thinking when, probably about, I don't know, 10 minutes ago when we were talking, I was like, when it comes to races, like race directors too have got a, you know, they, they've got a heck of a lot to do because it will always be male start list, female start list. Where does Rach McBride go?
1: Right. Yeah. And I think that's the big question now was like moving into like, how do we, what is best in an athletic sense of including non-binary folks? Um, And there's definitely some huge question marks. Uh, And, you know, what's moving forward right now, I think some of the biggest things that race directors can do is like, as, think about their gendered language and announcers as well. And just that, you know, for, for me, I, um, I consider myself a non-binary person who competes in the female bodied category. So I absolutely recognize that I have a female body and that's the category as a professional that I compete in Um, at, at a non-professional level. There is absolutely a, a, a you know a possibility of of increased inclusion, um, whether that is um, you know initial steps of just changing how people like how 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 people are seen and register for races. so one of the things that I have talked about uh, a lot that that one of our local races has done has put in that you just select which race you want to race in. So you want to race in the male race, or you want to race in the female race, because what most registration forms do is they just, you have to mark off either M or F as your identity. And then you are put into whatever race that, you know, corresponds to that. And, um, having an open, having an open place for gender identity, um, that I, is huge. Like the race that I did last year, um, that had that option, it made all the difference in the world. I was like, wow, this is incredible. And I actually feel seen. And so when I show up at the start line, I'm much more, I feel like I, I fit. Whereas yes. When, you know, even that's um, on start lines in professional races when they're like, okay, ladies, uh, or like, let's give these girls a cheer or whatever. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I'm just like, well, where, wh- how do I fit in here? I, I don't, I, I've oft, like, yeah, until I had the language to talk about it at every single start line, I was like, there's something, I don't fit in here and I can't put my finger on why.
0: I think for, like, for me, talking now to you I think for most people listening like the idea of just not fitting in and as you say for kind of 40 years it's it's almost like heartbreaking yeah I think I think back to
1: sort of that those roller coasters that I went through in terms of of my identity and Um, just understanding who I was in the world and, um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that I've been able to, I feel like navigate this world in, I've had very supportive people around me, my friends and my, especially my family has just been incredible. And so I think I'm really lucky in that to have sure it's taken me 40 years to figure this, to, to figure this out however um i was oh i never had that uh that a family who was like you know this is wrong you need to fit in this box that sort of thing um you know when i initially came out to it's interesting i one of the hardest things that i did was coming out to my family and i did that after i had already spoken publicly um and I was just, I was just so nervous, and I didn't know how to talk to them um, about it. And I was, I was really worried about their reaction, and of, and of course, like, you know, not being my mother's daughter anymore, uh, and that sort of thing. And, um, and basically, their reaction was just like, "We've been waiting for you to figure this out for a long time. <laughs> we always knew that you were different." And just didn't know where you were going to, like how this was going to impact you, or where you were going to fit in. And I was, and I was just like, "This is incredible! Like I couldn't ask for a better family." Um, and and of course, it's not all you know. Th- they still use the wrong pronouns, but they've been using certain <laughs> pronouns for forty years, so <laughs> we're still working on that. But but I know it's coming from a place of like. Love. I mean that was incredible to hear, yeah from my from my own parents of like we we had a talk when you were a little kid that like you know my dad mom and dad were like you know we Rach is different and and we just hope that they figure out where where they fit in, and, and so that was like again so incredibly validating to have that from That's amazing. my parents, yeah. right, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah oh I feel like it's like tear <laughs> oh, <Rach. laughs> um the, right a couple just a couple more things because then uh I know that you uh you've you've got to go as well um one of them you're a very accomplished uh musician a cellist which mm-hmm. is just awesome do you still play now I do. Yeah. Um, not as
1: often as I would like. Uh, I definitely get inspired more t- different times than others. Um, I, yeah, so I, I try and keep it up as much as I can. Yeah, I don't, uh, you know, every, in the past 10 years, I've had like, I've actually had like two gigs or so. And so it's it helps motivate me to like all of a sudden start practicing a whole lot but you know I've been playing since I was nine years old and I love it so much so it, it really it's, it's like riding a bike you just kind of get back into it and I just have to work up my muscles um, but the muscle memory is there.
0: <laughs> and where does, where does music or, or specifically playing the cello where, do, where does that take you? Well, you know,
1: honestly, I think that when I play my cello, A, it is um, very much a stress relief, stress relief for me. Um, And B, I think it is, you know, if we talk about trying to achieve flow state as an athlete, when I play my cello, I would say that it is like the closest that that I come to flow state um, it's a really, yeah, it just feels like this really sort of grounding um, practice that I have. Um, and, and I love making music and I love the sound of music. Um, uh, yeah, and so it's, it's something that, I mean, music has always played a big role in my life, whether it is listening to it or creating it. Um, and, uh, and I'm just so grateful to have that outlet in my life.
0: Which brings me nicely to the next question. Now, I, I just checked this with you before we hit record, actually, because you had sent a photo through of you at, um, Challenge Route uh, last year. And then just before we hit record, I was like, did you have a, a headphone in? <laughs> Cause I spotted <laughs> something white and you were like, yes. And I said, is that even allowed? And you were like, yeah. Oh, my- <laughs> So fill, yeah, yeah. fill me in.
1: <laughs> I know. It's so cool. So, I mean, I think it's allowed at all the challenge races, but on the run course, you can have music. Um, and, you know, what? And for those of us who train with music, you know, it's such an awesome – and, you know, I just feel like who doesn't feel super pumped up when they listen to their, like, favorite song, right? And when you're deep in the bowels of the Ironman marathon. Um, it can be really, really helpful. Uh, I think, though, you know, my experience with listening to music um, in that race was it was wonderful up until a certain point, And then when I was like so delirious at the end of the marathon, and I had no idea what and if anything was even playing in my ear. Um, uh, but I'm sure, you know, subconsciously it was really motivating.
0: So did you have it on from the very first step of the marathon or did you hit play at, I don't know, kilometre 15 or something?
1: I'm pretty sure I started it within the first couple of kilometres. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I got God, this is going
0: to be a long way.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I had, I had a pretty long playlist, so uh,
0: I knew it would last. So the question being... What was on that playlist? What what oh, get God. what gets you through uh, the the marathon when you're allowed the headphones in? What what, what would get you through?
1: Well, it was um, absolutely a mixture of things on that playlist. If I can remember, um, I have to admit. I mean, I do love my my punk rock and riot girl music, and um, Nine Inch Nails is a staple in there. However, probably the majority is, like, really cheesy (laughs) dance music. Like, you know, the stuff, like the house music that you would go to the bars and and dance to. But I love dancing. I mean, I think that's a secret, uh, a a little-known secret of Rach McBride, is I absolutely love dancing. Um, But, uh, yeah, so I think a lot of it was pretty cheesy.
0: (laughs) Love it! I love it, Rach. If there was one thing that you could say to anyone listening now, um, perhaps just one thing for for everyone to think about um, in terms of someone being gender non-binary, uh, maybe some advice or what would you What would you say?
1: Oh boy! Um, well, I think. I think it's, it's, it's twofold. I mean, I think when I think about other non-binary athletes out there, I really just want to, um, I just want to say that you are not alone, that there are, there are so many of us out there. um, It's okay to not like be out. Um, Everybody has their own process and their own comfort level and, and I understand, like, firsthand the um, the energy that it takes to be in a, in a very binary world of sports um, and identify as non-binary. It takes a lot, a lot of energy. Um, and that it, it will get better. It's going to get better. It's going to become a more inclusive sport a space and there's so much there's so many conversations happening and so much change happening um especially um at the local level and to folks who may not understand what binary is or have questions i think that i really encourage people just to um to have an open mind and to ask questions there aren't you know if someone asks me a question that's inappropriate, then I'm I'm going to say that and, um, you know, I won't necessarily answer a question, um, but just to know that, you know, if it's coming from a place of, like, curiosity and respect and learning um, and not a place of, of, like, intolerance and attacking and hate, then, um, then it makes all the difference in the world and that, you know, we are all we are all humans, just trying to live our life and be our most authentic selves. And everybody has a right to be their most authentic selves. Even someone who strongly identifies as a man or strongly identifies as a woman, um, like ev- everybody has has that right to be themselves, and it's okay. And um, and so just have have some kindness to let everyone be themselves
0: amazing rach you've certainly educated me you've had me up and down in terms of emotions as well thank you so much for taking the time talking being open and and i think helping many others as well
1: oh thank you so much yeah it's been really a pleasure to have this conversation
0: Thanks for listening to the Inside Tri Show. If you want to get in touch or get a little bit more information on anything, then reach out to Helen on Instagram or Twitter at Inside Tri Show. Please do share and comment on this interview when you see posts about it on social media. It takes a lot of guts to speak up. As you could hear in the interview, it was not easy for Rach to do. And talking to a total stranger, me, it involves an incredible level of vulnerability and regardless of what you might think or what your beliefs might be i think they should be praised for that so time for some of my news to finish off with first up hilariously it's the case of sofa to bivy nil i will explain we were planning to do a little micro adventure this weekend from our door the rain am i am i allowed to blame the rain the rain messed up plans totally um Did we wimp out, I don't know, did homemade lasagna and the idea of a glass of wine on the settee sound a little bit more appealing than getting absolutely drenched through in the British summer? Yes, it did. Anyway, I am getting my bivvy ready for my first ever night under the stars tonight, I should say since I was 18, and Slept in a Swag by Uluru in Australia. But yeah, it'll be the first night in a bivvy in my back garden. <laughs> I will report back. I also... It's the first ever. Another one. I have my first ever Danish-style huger this weekend. Shall I explain? Yep. Yeah. Okay, so you might remember the Hella Frederiksen episode a few... I don't know, a few back now. And she... Yep, we talked about periods and fueling and everything like that. But she also mentioned towards the end about the boot camp that she was going to be running. Well, I decided to sign up after doing the interview with Hella. And the they do the odd group Hooger over Zoom to reflect on the training. So it's part of the programme. But overall, I, I cannot tell you how much I have... Learned and how much I am learning. So we're now up to week seven. It's an amazing group from around the world and it is it is it's just awesome. Just everything from everything that you're gonna learn. It's it's so so cool. So if you want to know more about it, then tag Hella and Inside Tri Show on Instagram because I'm pretty sure it will not be the last boot camp style training thing that she does. And it, it's just been fantastic. And we're all going to be putting it into practice. Everything that we've learnt, all the training that we've done with a virtual race in the middle of August. Eek. Elsewhere, I am 10 days away from reaching 100 days, Monday to Friday, of yoga since lockdown. Woo-hoo. I would like to tell you that I have a core of steel. Sadly, I don't. And I still can't touch my toes. But I can see huge improvements in my strength and flexibility since March. If you are in need of sports nutrition, then head over to Comfuel. They have all the normal things and well-known brands like Merton Gels, Precision Hydration, and they can do sweat tests. And you can get 20% off with the code INSIDETRY at comfuel.co.uk. So do make the most of that. Carry on with the messages too, the shares. Go and give Inside try Show a like on Facebook if you haven't done so already. And if you are listening now and you like what I do, you wouldn't mind buying me a coffee each month, then head over to patreon.com forward slash Inside Try Show. This week's show has been powered by 33fuel.com. You can get your hands on six protein bars, their premium protein and their ultimate daily greens as part of their special lockdown bundle. Use the code InsideTry33 at checkout for a discount. And I'm going to leave you this week with a quote. It's from Michelle Obama in her becoming documentary on Netflix. I watched it this week and I was just in awe, complete and utter awe of the woman. If you haven't seen it and you do have Netflix, just get it downloaded or just put it on your watch list for this week. But some of her words also made me think about how powerful Rach McBride's story is too, as is our readiness to listen. So Obama said, There's power in allowing yourself to be known and heard, in owning your unique story, in using your authentic voice and there's grace in being willing to know and hear others. On that note, thank you so much for listening. Look after yourself, look after those around you and we'll speak again next week.